also, I just want to give a brief thank you to all of you guys before I begin preaching uh, for the love that you've shown me this summer. It's been incredible. Um, the summer has blessed my life incredibly, so I just want to offer that thanks to you guys. Um, and we'll get into the sermon. So We're studying Psalm 22 today, which is really one of the darkest psalms in the Bible. Um, so not a super light topic for my first time preaching here. But it's also one of the most joyful psalms in the Bible. So we have a lot of joy, a lot of darkness in the psalm, and we have an inexperienced preacher who's going to try and explain it. So it might be a bit of a roller coaster. We'll go ahead and read it here, Psalm 22. So, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. And you, they trusted, and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you on my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bowls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I poured out like wax, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like, or I poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Your dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You rescue me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard and he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done. So you'll notice that the psalm is really divided into two main sections here. So the first 21 verses, we have David lamenting to God, crying out. Um, the second half, verses 22 through 31, David's crying out in a song of praise to God. So we're going to start with the lament section. And we see David cry out in anguish to God. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
So his cry may be one of anger, um, but uh, it could also be one of confusion. And we can see this confusion in the sentence. He says, my God, twice. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's emphasizing that he has an intimate relationship with, my, with his God, saying, my God. If we think back through David's life, we can really see how closely God has interacted with David. We can see God protecting him as a shepherd when he is defending his flock. We see God give him victory over Goliath. And we see God with him when he was anointed as king. We see in 1 Samuel, Samuel 16, 13, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Then even after he commits adultery, David prays, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So he's indicating that even in that moment, after the adultery, God is still with them. But here, he feels like God has left him. And he's saying, he's perplexed. He's saying, my God, you know, why have you, you've been with me my whole life, and now why have you left me now? So we see how the, the presence of God is David's main concern. He's saying, he's at, he doesn't ask why he's experiencing all the pain and all the torment that he's going through. But he's asking why he can't find God in the midst of it. That's his true pain. And he, he describes this feeling of abandonment in terms of distance and silence. If we look at the first couple of verses, he asks, Why are you so far from saving me? So you have distance, but then I cry by day, but you do not answer. So distance and silence. So all the ways that he experiences the presence of God have been removed, and he's left alone. And I'll be honest, I felt that way even at certain points this summer and in the past. I felt like there, there have been times when I felt the presence of God, felt him love me, felt his nearness, his comfort. There's also been times when I just felt completely alone. And maybe you felt that way too at some points. Maybe you feel, even now, while you're surrounded by people, you feel that you're alone in your struggle, and you get sin, sin that no one knows about. Maybe you're alone in your anxiety, all the worries that you have. Maybe you're alone just in the suffering and the pain that you're going through. So I think we all feel that way at some point, too. And often, during times like these, I begin to question the goodness of God. Like, God, if are you really good if you're letting me go through this right now? How can you let me go through this? But when we, when we turn to Psalm 22, David actually does the opposite. So instead of questioning the goodness of God, he actually affirms it here. So he turns and he affirms it. He says, yeah, you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. So he's saying, despite all I'm going through, all this pain, the abandonment, God, you're still holy, you're still good, and you're with me. And even draws upon God's faithfulness to the fathers of Israel in the past uh, for, for evidence for God's holiness. And we think of fathers like Noah or Joseph or Moses, all of them trusted in God and they were delivered. So we look at Noah, he trusted in God and God delivered him through, through the ark, deli- delivered him from the flood. And if you want to talk about suffering, you look at Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, but then he was imprisoned in Egypt for a crime he didn't commit. So he's suffering, yet he still trusts in God, and God delivers him. And you think about Moses and being in slavery in Egypt, the whole Israelite nation being in slavery. Moses trusts in God, and God delivers them out of the slavery that they're in. So God, he's proven himself as the covenant God of the people of Israel. He's saying, I, I belong to you, and you're my people, and you belong to me. But let me come to verse 6, and we're back in the midst of suffering. So David feels that he's excluded from the people, the covenant people that God has been faithful to. The suffering shifts from the absence of God now to the presence of his enemies. Saying, God, you're not here, and all my enemies, they are here. 
He's saying, the fathers of Israel, they trusted you in the past, and they were delivered. But now I'm trusting in you. I'm being mocked for my trust and my faith. And notice, even the animal he compares himself to in verse 6, it says, but I'm a worm and not a man. So sometimes in youth group, we'll have like icebreaker questions, one of them being, you know, if you could be any animal, what would it be? And pretty much no one ever says worm. No one's like, yeah, I'll, I'll love to be a worm. And uh, we understand why, right? They're repulsive, they're insignificant, they're despised. And that's how David feels right now. He feels as if he's a worm. But even in the midst of his suffering, David again affirms his trust in God. So he feels like God isn't near him, he's being mocked, but he still affirms his trust in God. So after being mocked for his faith, he actually expresses his faith farther in God, in verses 9 and 10. And when we zoom out here, we begin to see a pattern in the psalm. David bounces back and forth between expressing his suffering and then expressing his faith in God. If you just look at the first line of each section, you can see it. So verse 1, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Under three, yet you are holy. In verse six, but I'm a worm and not a man. In verse nine, yet you are he who took me from the womb. So he has an expression of suffering and an expression of faith, of faith and trust. And I think what we see here is really just a biblical model for suffering. God wants us to come to Him. He wants us to express our pain, express our suffering. God, as our Father, He wants to hear the needs of His children and He wants to provide for us. Yeah, we're also called to express our faith in God, as David does. Knowing that regardless of our circumstances, whatever we're going through, God is so holy, and he is so good. And I'll be honest, I'm not great at that. I'm kind of bad at it, actually. So I'm great at expressing my suffering when I'm going through something. I'll be stopped at a red light for like 30 seconds, and I'm like, God, you know, where are you in my suffering? But expressing our faith is a lot harder, and especially if our circumstances are a lot harder. Think about a parent who maybe lost their child or a marriage that might have ended in divorce. How, you know, how can you trust in God during the midst of suffering like that? How can you turn to Him and express faith in Him? I think the answer is really found in the psalm. It's not found in the psalm itself, but it's found in who the psalm is truly about. So the psalm isn't actually all about David and his suffering. It's not all about us and our suffering. It's all about Christ his suffering. You can see it laid out in the psalm. So Jesus knows, he knows our suffering. He empathizes with all of our weaknesses, all of our sorrows. And you can see it throughout the psalm. You can see him consistently suffering. We can see it in Matthew 27, while hanging on the cross, Jesus cries out the first line of Psalm 22. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he experiences now the distance from his Father. And the word forsaken actually has a stronger meaning than just being left alone by someone. It actually has a sense of betrayal in the word. So one of the Marines' mottos is, until they are home, no man left behind. And forsakenness is like leaving your comrade behind to die on the battlefield. All of your comrades are gone, you're there, death is approaching, and you're all alone. So that's what that's the sense that Jesus has on the cross, that he's all alone and death is approaching. So he knows suffering. Jesus was also mocked and he was despised by the Jews who surrounded him at the cross. Uh, Matthew 27, 41 says, So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. 
If you trust in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So we see an almost word-for-word repeat of verse 8 in our psalm, where David says, the people that are mocking David, they say, if you trust in God, let God deliver him. So Jesus, he was also mocked and despised for his faith in God. So he knows suffering. Well, then in verses 9 and 11, David speaks of God's presence since his birth. If we think about Christ, Jesus has always been with God from eternity past. He's always dwelt in a loving communion with his Father. But then he came to earth and he lived a life of perfect obedience. And he was left to die on the cross, apart from the Father that he has known from all of eternity. So imagine that suffering. He knows the suffering. And you see his suffering most gruesomely depicted in verses 12 through 18, which describes the crucifixion. His heart is melting. His bones are out of place. His strength is all dried up. He's stripped of all of his clothing. And his hands and feet are pierced through the cross. As God is far from him, and death is approaching. So he knows what suffering is. suffering is. He knows the pain of our suffering. He can empathize with us, as we said before. But at the same time, his suffering is beyond anything that we'll experience. He actually endured the worst possible suffering for us on the cross. His suffering meant taking the wrath of God upon himself in our place. He knows the worst kind of suffering. And we're the ones that deserve to be forsaken by God. We're the ones that deserve the suffering in Psalm 22, where Christ takes it upon himself. Thinking about the fathers of Israel that David mentions here in verses 3 to 5. If you think back to Israel as a nation, they were known as a stiff-necked people. So they always turned to other idols, turned to other gods. And if you think about us and our own hearts and the sin that we fall into, we're often a stiff-necked people as well. We turn to other things, turn to other gods. But God delivers us. He delivers us because Jesus wasn't delivered. He, Jesus suffered in our place, suffered the abandonment that we deserve, so that we'll now have a God that never leaves us, even in our suffering. And we can, if you go to the mocking of Jesus found in Matthew 27 41, the Jews mock, he saved others, but he cannot save himself, right? And it's actually truer than what they knew, because he did save others, right? He saved us, he saved others there, because he didn't save himself. The so Psalm fits uh, the suffering of Christ. And we can actually even maybe see the, a comparison of Jesus in uh, verse 6 of the psalm, where David says, I'm a worm and not a man. And it's likely here that the Hebrew word for worm is actually referring to a specific type of worm called a crimson worm. And it's interesting, but this crimson worm, whenever, whenever it's ready to give birth, it would go and attach itself to a tree and it would stay there, stay there the rest of its life then it would give birth, and after it gave birth, it would die on that tree, and it would shed its blood on the tree. So it would give life, and then people would come, and they would collect the blood of that worm, and they would use the scarlet blood to make clothing for the people of Israel. And so we actually see some parallels here. We see Jesus putting himself on the cross, shedding his blood, giving us life, and now we're clothed in the righteousness that he gives to us through his blood. And it may seem like an unpleasant comparison um, to a worm, but, I mean, Christ dying on the cross was very unpleasant. And if you think about it, worms are some of the lowest forms on earth. And Christ, before he came to earth, he was in the highest form. He was in the form of God, as Philippians 2 says. Uh, But then he emptied himself into the lowest form of man, and he went and died on the cross for us. 
Now we see the significance of the clothing show up again in verse 18 of the psalm, where David says, They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. So Jesus was stripped of his clothing, and he was, pu- he was publicly humiliated on the cross for us. Tim Keller puts it this way, Jesus Christ was stripped naked so that we could be clothed in the righteousness of God. So all the suffering in this psalm points to Christ's suffering on our behalf. And thankfully, the psalm actually doesn't end in unanswered suffering. Just as the crucifixion wasn't the end for Jesus, it doesn't end here. If you go to verse 22, we have a dramatic shift in the psalm. So David ends his section of lament with, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So he shifts from crying out in lament to praising God to his brothers. And here we find the joy of the resurrection. We see that God answers the cries of Jesus. He doesn't leave him on the cross. He delivered him from death. And it's interesting that the first action we see David do in the section of praise, he goes and he tells his brothers, right? He says, tells them of the Lord's name. In verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. And the, the author of Hebrews, he actually quotes this exact text in reference to Jesus and what he did after the resurrection. So you go to John 20, 17. After his resurrection, Jesus says to Mary, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So the language Jesus uses here makes it clear that they are now his brothers. They are now included in an intimate, loving relationship that he has with God. He says, my Father and your Father, right? My God and your God. And through Christ's suffering, we're actually brought into this loving, intimate relationship that he has. So, I mean, what does that mean for us in our suffering? Now that we're in this relationship that Christ has given us, you know, what do we hold on to in our suffering? I think we find the answer in verse 24 of our psalm. It says, For he has not despised or poured the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cries at him. So there's actually a complete reversal, if you look at the psalm, of the complaints found earlier in the verses. So let's go back to the complaints of verse 6. In his suffering, he's scorned and he's despised by the people. But if we come to verse 28 of this or 24 of this psalm, he says that he actually God is not despised, but reward the affliction of the afflicted. So you were despised, now you're not despised. And Jesus, if you think about Jesus, he was hated by others in his suffering. After the resurrection, he now experiences the love and the presence and the favor of God. And you see this in verse 1 as well. If we go back, remember the complaints are, God is distant and he is silent. So you are far from saving me, and I cry by day, but you do not answer. So distance and silence. But then in verse 24, we have David say, He has not in his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So it's a complete reversal that God, he hasn't in his face Christ, but is with him now. He hasn't blocked Christ out, but he heard the cry of Christ. He heard the cry of Jesus on the cross, and he delivered him into the resurrection. And since Christ suffered for us, this actually becomes true of us now. So God turns to us now in our suffering and says, I'm not against you, I'm for you. He says, I have not left you in your suffering, but I'm not with you. He says, I'm not silent, but I now hear you to experience the whole presence of God now because Christ has suffered for us. Because Christ underwent the punishment, we now have a Father who never leaves us but bears with us in our suffering. 
And so now we partake in that communion that Jesus has given us through dying on the cross. Uh, verse, 27, verse 26 here says, The afflicted shall eat, and they shall be satisfied. And this points to Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Um, he says, If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So now we're fed in our suffering by Christ himself. Christ gave his body for us, and now we partake in that. And he's all that will satisfy us in our suffering, all that we're going through. And we do know that we all experience suffering. We know that the world is filled with suffering. But here in 1 Peter 4.13, Peter tells us to rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now this is what we see in the last section of the psalm here. We see Christ's glory revealed. We have all peoples, all nations coming and worshiping God together with no suffering anymore. And that's our hope. That's our hope in our suffering now. That one day all suffering is going to end. Or we have to be, we'll get to be with Christ in eternity forever. And so when you question whether God is with you in your suffering, as I sometimes do, just look to the cross. I mean, look to Psalm 22. See Christ suffering for you. See Christ suffering with you. Um, look to verse 31 that says, He has done it. Hear Jesus say, It is finished. He's achieved this victory for you. And put your trust in Him. Um, put your trust in God because Jesus, He has suffered for you on the cross. He suffers with you now. And we have the hope of one day experiencing no suffering. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, uh, just thank you for today. Thank you for Christ and His work on the cross for us. I just pray that we uh, partake in Christ. God, place all of our hope in Him. Uh, place all of our hope in Your grace. I pray that You guide us all um, the rest of this week. Let us hope in You and glory in You. And I uh, know that You are with us in our sufferings. You know I pray. Amen.